So what we want is developers to be able to access what they need to do their job in an autonomous and self-service way. Hi, welcome to the Open at Intel podcast. I'm Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist here at Intel. Whitney Lee of VMware's Tanzu team is a passionate advocate for cloud native technologies. I sat down with her to pick her brain about internal developer platforms and making developers happy. I think you'll enjoy, and please join us again for more important open source conversations. You can find more from the team at open.intel at open.intel.com and at open at Intel on Twitter. I'm talking to Whitney Lee today. You probably have seen her around the internets. She is with VMware. She does a couple of, we might call them web shows, uh, video series, but also some live streaming on Twitch, which is really cool and something I'd like to talk about a little bit later. But today's topic is really about internal developer platforms. Whitney has some expertise here, and I'm really excited to pick her brain about this trends and, and, and problem solving and all of that good stuff, especially from my perspective, maybe in my former life as a developer. So, so we're going to get into it. And, and, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. You know, as we were saying before I hit record, I can't believe my job is that I get to talk to interesting people every day. Like this is my actual job. <laughs> me too. <laughs> this is so cool. It's the dream. <laughs> I know. How do we, how did we get here? I don't know. I think it's by, I think sometimes I consider myself like a professional question asker. Like I'm That's good fair, at asking yeah. questions. Yeah. And that's how I got to be able to host different shows and meet so many amazing people. Yeah. I mean, half of the battle is just, I think, finding the courage to grab the microphone. I have worn many hats. I've been an engineer. I've been all of these things, but there is a certain level of confidence required to grab a hold of that mic and record it for posterity, right? And then put it out <laughs> into the world and, and not be too afraid to say something completely absurd. And, and so, yeah, so that's half the battle. It's just, just grab that mic. I think uh, I, in that vein, I think what, what's helped me a lot is being really comfortable saying, I don't know. Like yes. it's, what, what makes me uncomfortable and makes me not want to grab the mic is if I have to pretend to be someone I'm not or pretend to know something I'm not. So I basically never do that. I'm always my full genuine self. And if I don't know, then I just say I don't know. I don't try to pretend to know. And that makes me feel way more comfortable behind I the microphone. I love everything about that. And I think it's excellent advice. So uh, getting, getting back into the groove of internal developer platforms, just to kind of get, get us started, Tell us, you know, what is what is an internal developer platform? How, how do you how do, would you describe it to somebody who's mm -hmm. maybe less familiar with that acronym, that approach? Mm -hmm. um, and then what you know, what problems are we solving here? Excellent. So internal developer platform seems to be the vocabulary that word that's emerging. But I've also heard like just developer platform or development platform or um, or a cloud platform. I've heard a lot of different words to describe this concept. But the problem we're solving here is that um, as we've done this like shift left, like DevOps things, mm -hmm. more and more infrastructure problems are falling onto developers. Like developers are now in charge of creating 
their own environments and choosing their own tools and integrating those tools. And that's before they even write the code that provides value to the organization. So this isn't very efficient. And um, what developers are doing, either one of two things, or actually probably a combination of both, they're relying on experts to give them what they need. So it'll be like, hey, I need a cluster, please put in a ticket for a cluster. And then some days or even weeks later, they get what they need to do their job. Or like, hey, I need this deployed. Here's a ticket. Will you deploy it for me, please? And someone else has to go do that. One team's relying on another team to get a job done. And that team is stuck until the other team does something. So that's one thing that happens. That's a problem that IDPs or uh, a developer platform, internal developer platform is solving for. And then similarly, um, maybe every different disparate app team is solving the same problem over and over again for themselves and inefficiently. So they're choosing what tools and how to integrate those tools and how to, how to implement the company's security policies. And it's, it's redundant work. So working this way has some problems besides being inefficient, it's hard to govern. And then like if a developer wants to go from one team to another team or even bringing a new developer in on a certain team, it takes a long time to onboard because you're not just learning the code base, you're learning all the tools and the ways mm -hmm. of working and all this stuff. So that's, those are the things, those are the problems that we're trying to solve for. How does, I know you used to be a developer, how does this jive with your own personal experience? Well, I, I have to say, I got really excited when you started talking about like onboarding documentation, switching teams. <laughs> I mean, that's something we've all been there, yeah. right? We're, uh -huh. we're used to our, our our little happy place and our local environment that works, and we know how the how the whole pipeline is put together. And then mm -hmm. maybe we switch and we work on something new, which is cool, and we learn new things, but wow, there can be kind of a learning cliff of <laughs> just, you know, yeah. through new new documentation and trying to figure out how all this new stuff works together. And, and yeah, solving that problem is so, so beneficial from the developer side. It's just, you know, you're really, you're really easing some pain there. <laughs> so what we want is developers to be able to access what they need to do their job in an autonomous and self-service way. And also on the flip side, on the off side, what we want is for experts to be able to codify the thing that they're good at. So like a database expert to be able to have those expert opinions and codify them. And then a platform team's job is to provide the interface between the expert and then the develop the developer who's consuming the stuff that the expert makes. So, so, that interface might be um, a custom API that the that the platform team can call. Maybe it's a web portal. Maybe it's a template. Um, maybe it's ready to use tools. But it's um, it's the interfaces that the platform yeah. team and the platform engineers are concerned with. So, but the bottom line, the bottom bottom line is platform teams and internal developer platforms, they exist to make life easier for application teams. And an, an IDP is unique to a specific organization. You can't like, right? You, if, if there are some IDP products that exist out there, and I'm not saying you shouldn't use them, but when you evaluate them, if you use them, you don't have to. Um, you need to be sure that you can incorporate your own organization's uh, 
opinions into that because what you're actually making for your developers is unique to your specific organization and unique to the apps that you're building, unique to the governance that you need. Right. Okay. Unique to your particular security issues. Right. We're not talking, you know, one size fits all kind of platform right. here. Yes. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. Again, I will reiterate though that making life easier for the development teams and the application teams, that is, that is, that resonates right there. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep saying that. <laughs> Lowers all of our blood pressure. <laughs> um, so, so, Okay, getting into the, the specifics of how, how how this works, right? When I think of something like this, and again, this is I'm looking at it from the opposite side. Um, I love I think that about, actually. Yeah, yeah. I love this conversation. Yeah, we come, we meet together, and, and great uh-huh. things happen, right? We um, hold hands, we sing songs. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> Make the world a better place for developers <laughs> and ops people, you know, alike. <laughs> in my mind, I th- I I imagine very you know key components like role based access control and, and configuration uh-huh. manage configurations code. But can you just tell us what are the main important components of an IDP uh, internal to a developer platform? You need a service. So your your developers, and let me say, we're saying developers here, but it could be app operators, mm-hmm. it could be data scientists, it could be like off the shelf operators. Like they're like, when I say app team, I mean like a broader people. But um, so the first thing is like, they need something. So let's just say a database. So So one thing you need is the thing, the service that they need, mm-hmm. right? So, and that should be probably configured by an expert, probably not by the platform team itself. The second thing you need is an interface to that service. And that's where the platform team comes in, the platform and the platform thing. And then the third thing you need is you need to be able to observe what's happening with that service. So you need observability to make sure it's working as it should. Besides, so if, so you mentioned like role-based access control, that's definitely, an, an important thing, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like um, like uh, trying to add the locks to the house before you've built Ah, the house. okay, got it. Yeah. So in terms of what's important, I'd say like the thing you're, you're providing, the service you're providing, the interface to that service, and then being able to see how that, the observability of seeing what that service is doing are, yeah. are the three most important things. So in other words, you know, not inserting a solution in search of a problem. It's not about the solution. It's about really mapping out what the problem to be solved is and then approaching it from your unique perspective, as we said earlier, since it's no, not you know, one size fits all. Yeah, and that's maybe a fourth thing then would be communication. So mm-hmm. having, you don't want to build something for your app teams before you've talked to your app teams about what they need. So understanding their pain points, understanding what's slowing them down, and then finding the most important thing, like the most high value thing that you could provide for them. Uh, maybe they're taking it's taking weeks for them to get a cluster and you can build an API for them where they can provision their own cluster in a self-service way. Oh, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> everything about that sounds good, yeah. No, the, me, past me loves everything about this. I'm so excited. Wishes so, they talked to you a couple of years ago. <laughs> but but uh, so in that specific example, though, let's talk about um, how how the expert knowledge comes into that. So the experts can say, OK, I want the app teams to be able to provision a cluster that has all these opinions, all these uh, VPC, this security group like this, like certain network thing that like um, developers don't care about 
that level of detail and they shouldn't have to, and we don't want them to have to worry about that. And then from there, the platform team provides a simplified interface where a developer can maybe say, I want a cluster. Maybe that interface you could choose. I want it to be on Google or AWS or Azure. You know, maybe that's a choice. Maybe whether it's a big or a small cluster, you don't even have to necessarily say the number of nodes or how big the nodes are. Maybe that's abstracted away. But you have very simple choices that are related to the develop, developer experience. And that's all the developer sees, not all that's going on in the background to provision that cluster. So thinking back to the various teams I have been a part of, how would you describe an organization or a team that could most benefit from this type, the type of platform building mm. that we're talking about here? And, and when does it also not make sense to approach it this way? Uh, so the thing about platforms is it's not, they're not directly affecting the bottom line in terms of a company making money. It will actually very much in the end, if you can improve your developer experience and make your developers happy, that's going to make your apps be released faster. It's going to give them better governance. So they're more consistent. Um, it's going to making your developers happy alone will increase productivity, but the act of making the platform itself, you don't see the value immediately. So that value is really going to translate when you're operating at scale. So when you have a platform team, when you have um, a lot of application teams that are all able to use the platform, then it's going to be a lot better than if you're a much smaller shop and you already have a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats who might need to be experts in a lot of areas. So um, it's, it's, for enterprise organization, it's almost like a no-brainer no because you also have problems of like uh, you have your legacy apps and you have your infrastructure that's half over here and half over there. And like you don't really like it's a very custom situation that's kind of built up over all these years of, of navigating cloud and everything sure, yeah. and, the, and data centers. Yeah. And so you need a very custom solution for how to make your application developers have an easier life, a better, make them happy. And, um, and so therefore you're, you are in more of a need of a developer platform as opposed to a smaller company or a company who's just getting started from scratch. You probably can use a lot more off the shelf things because you're a sweet little baby angel and the world is your oyster. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so there's, there's, a, there's a, a word that keeps coming up, and that's self-service. Yeah. Or uh -huh. hyphenated words. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, very appealing, especially, again, from a, the perspective of a developer. Also, developer experience, so important. So uh -huh. important. The smallest improvements can have such a tremendous impact, right? Relieving bottlenecks, you know, shortening um, feedback loops, all of that stuff. How mm -hmm. does a well-oiled developer platform improve developer experience? And how much should the developers even be aware of it? Those are great questions. Um, there's a term floating about, I don't know where it started, but it's called platform as a product. And it's this idea that your, your team should treat that internal development platform, although as though it's a product that's made for the developers at your company. So you should be researching what they need as you would a product. You should have short feedback loops and be getting, um, making sure it's making your customers, quote unquote, the developer happy, just like you would treat a product. It, uh, you probably want a, a, a 
PM, a project manager for your platform team to, to be like watching what the, the user experience is like and, and looking forward to the next problem. And um, uh, you can't treat a platform as a product if your developers have to use the platform, then it's a monopoly. Then it's like, at least in my world, it's like the electric company. I only have one <laughs> choice for an electric company. They don't have to be a good electric company because I, I have to use sure. them. So you can't, you shouldn't, I would recommend you don't force your developers to use it. They should be allowed to roll their own if they want to. And if you're in a situation where they're choosing not to use the developer platform, then you have a problem that you need to solve. Like, is it because we need to create documentation for our internal platform? Is it because they don't know? Is it because it's not serving their needs? Let's figure out, just like you would a product, it's not selling. Let's figure out what the problem is and make sure that we're making everyone happy so we're getting the maximum benefit from our platform. So in terms of improving developer experience, uh, like, or self-service anyway, or all of that, like, the the developer is is the consumer is the user and we want to please them and we want to communicate a lot to make sure that they're happy and we're making the best things we can for them the most the high value things and then is then the second question you asked was like um how much awareness should developers yeah. have around about what's yeah. happening how much did they curtain? see behind the curtain is it you know yeah is it and hidden? I, is it magic <laughs> I think it's somewhere in between. I think it's a great question. But we talked about um, like provisioning a cluster. There are a lot of complex decisions that are being made and only exposing certain decisions to the developer. So they should have observability around the decisions at that it, that are at their own abstraction level. But they don't need to know the security groups and all that stuff or you're defeating the point. So they should have enough observability to know how to fix what what they can fix at their abstraction level and enough observability to know when, okay, this is a more complex situation that I need to be able to send off to the expert or get an expert opinion on. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 I think it does, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so we talked about like who, who what kind of team might benefit and where, where they might not. Something that I always consider, and again, maybe it's relevant here and maybe it's not, but how does the size of a team factor into planning or calculating benefits or, or the process involved in building something like this? I would say, I can't think of a reason where the size of the actual team would matter because you want you wouldn't want your like platform product manager who's in charge of getting feedback on how well the platform is working. That person shouldn't be talking to every single developer on the team. That person should probably be talking to the product manager on the app side, like a manager person. So therefore like the number of people that in charge of the application who are under under that manager doesn't seem relevant to okay. me. So I could see where, um, so like the paths of communication, you just wanna minimize how many people have to communicate with how many <laughs> other people, I think, sure. in an organization. But, um, but like the number of teams being served is probably relevant. I like that within this I idea of an intelligent, uh, IDP. I never use say the whole word. I'm trying to, internal developer platform. I say IDP so often that I, I know, kind right? of like yeah. lost context. So, I, but I don't want to use the acronym too much because if it's a new concept. So, internal developer platform. 
And I think maybe I said this before that one platform team can serve many application teams right, okay. and probably the number of application teams they can serve is related to how similar the needs are between those teams. Ah, there you go. Okay. That's, that starts to make sense. Yeah. I think that answers the question quite well. And, um, and we, and I've kind of danced around this idea of like a, a platform product manager too. So, so there should be someone in charge of like, okay, our platform engineers, here's where, here's what I would like for you to be making based on like, I'm, I'm talking to the leaders of the app teams to get feedback about what's working, what their pain points are, what's good. And then I'm taking that feedback and I'm assigning work to the to the platform okay. engineers themselves. Yeah. So you know, clear, clear paths of communication are important. Yeah, yeah you know, th this whole, again, this is very much out of the scope of my expertise and which is why it's so interesting to me. Any conversation about how technology is being used to make all of these, the increasingly complex way in which we build software to make uh -huh. it easier is a in very interesting conversation to me. And that, that is, yeah. you know, that's why I enjoy your answers here because, because this is very, um, it, it, I think it, it drives home the reminder that at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to make a very complex process painless uh -huh. and, and easier. <laughs> and, 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 and we want developers and engineers to enjoy their jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. So I won't um, say painless. I think that's well, well, hopefully people enjoy their jobs. Relatively. But like 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 you just said, like how overwhelmingly complex software has gotten. Yeah. Part of the problem is that too many people are meant to know the complexity of too many things. Yeah. And part of what we're trying to do here is making sure, like, okay, you're an expert in this, you do the thing you're an expert in. Okay, you're an expert in this, you do the thing that you're an expert at. And stick to the thing that you're really good at and don't, you don't have to do all the other things. Yeah. That's the, that's the dream. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. also, you know, coming from, I've been around a while. <laughs> I've been around a long enough <laughs> to remember when, when was single people, we did, we did a lot of stuff. <laughs> we had, you know, mm -hmm. you, you had to wear a lot of hats and, and you were maybe not so specialized as, as, and you became so over the course of a few years. And, but, uh, but yeah, things have always, <laughs> not always been quite so complex, which kind of leads me yeah. into my next question. I like to bring this up here and there because it is, I find a slightly overwhelming, and that is the overwhelmingness of the cloud native landscape, the mm -hmm. myriad tools at our collective <laughs> disposal. Where does an ops team begin to dissect all of this? I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion yes, right now. Yes, that is what we're here for. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the shows I host is called You Choose, and it's on the DevOps Toolkit YouTube channel. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure style journey through the CNCF landscape. We have a, a an application, an a anthropomorphized application who's the hero of the story. And the hero wants to get to production with all the bells and whistles they want. And so the, every design step is an episode. So the first episode is build a container image from the source code that's on a laptop. And so for that episode, we have on three guests, one from each CNCF project that can do that job. And then those three guests each get five minutes to tell us what's good about their particular project. And then the audience votes and then whatever wins, not wins, whatever gets chosen, it's not a win-lose thing, whatever gets chosen, then we build that into our ongoing demo. So we've done episodes on um, building container image, writing application configuration, container image registries, uh, adding a database. We've done cluster provisioning, GitOps. It's, it's 
been a lot of fun in a lot of ways. It's a silly and fun way to actually compare projects to each other, projects that can do similar things to each other. Yeah, I think it's a great approach, yeah. That said, your question is still a very legitimate question that needs to be answered. My show does not answer your question. Um, but uh, it, it more acknowledges the problem than it answers the question, perhaps. But I'd say, okay, you're a platform team, you want to build a platform, you have hundreds of projects to choose from. What do you do? The first thing you do is you talk to the application teams. Like the platform team's always looking for the most impactful way it can lower the cognitive load for an application team. So once you, once you identify that problem, then you're only looking for tools that solve that particular problem. So the scope of what you're looking at shrinks considerably. And, and based on the number of tools available for each design step and you choose, like I could tell you, like you're probably down to somewhere between two and seven tools, you know, mm -hmm. at that point that can solve that problem for you. And then you can kind of a little bit trust that the CNCF and the community, like they mm -hmm. wouldn't be in the CNCF if, if they were bad tools, you right. know, um, I'd be looking at one thing I would evaluate with tools or I would want one that has good community support. I know a lot of people use yeah. it. I can see that that's maybe more um, not sandbox, but incubating or graduated um, that uh, you could see it. Someone's using it in production already. It's, you know, and but once you do that research, then you do a proof of concept like you're not pouring concrete like you can play mm -hmm. and get your hands dirty with it and see how you like it. So, and then the tool doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to do a good job. So if you're implementing policy and you're like, oh my God, should I choose between open policy agent or Caverno? I just, the world's gonna end. Like, no, you're gonna win no matter what. Those are both <laughs> really good tools. Like you can't go wrong. Like one's maybe quite slightly better suited for one use case and the other for another use case. But, but they're both good tools with amazing community support that are gonna do what you need it to do. So it's not like um, I have to find the one best tool or I failed kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like it's really, it's like, it's quite similar to evaluating, evaluating libraries, evaluating whatever software you're going to pull into your project. It's the basics, community support, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. You don't want to be a pioneer if you don't have to be. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. And you probably don't. And so then, so, the idea is like you find that problem, you solve that problem, you give the developers an interface so they can get whatever it is they need, a database, we'll say. And then you then you do the research to find the next problem that you can solve with your platform. And that is the that's the way I would say to begin building a platform. And a lot of times that might start with like quick, like commercial off the shelf wins. Like mm -hmm. You, you, as your platform matures, then you'll start adding things like security and compliance and governance and network topologies. But at first you're just providing like individual capabilities that show you can do what you can do. And then as you grow, then you might also provide like compositions of several capabilities working together. So maybe as you grow, you like, okay, now with this API, you, our developers can create a virtual cluster that has Knative and Postgres pre-installed into it with those two technologies already working together. Just with one API call, our developers can do that. But that's that's something that happens with a more mature platform. And that's 
If you start right now thinking you need to make that, then it's overwhelming. But if you start right now thinking like, I need to provide one interface for one capability, then, then you grow to incorporate those other things. Are there any best practices that you, you could share, maybe from both sides also, you know, for the, the people building it on, on the ops end, but also the developers using it? The, the people building it, I would totally recommend you stick with, with popular tools that have good community support. So like Kubernetes, it used to be a hot topic, but now it's like, Everyone uses Kubernetes. Yeah. <laughs> you should use Kubernetes. Yeah. <laughs> um, like CNCF projects, this cloud in general, that, that's going to set you up for success. And you have a place to go if you have questions or, or roadblocks. Like people are excited to help in these, in these uh, open source CNCF communities. And then from an app team perspective, I, it's important to, if you're having trouble with the platform, if you don't like it, to speak up about it and make sure the platform team knows. Because the platform team's whole job is to make you happy. So you should feel good about that and feel like they want to know if you're not happy. They want to make it better. So I would be just like, be loud about your feedback. Don't just turn your back on the platform. Tell, tell, the, tell the platform engineers what you need. That is great advice. I, I love that. Communication. All comes communication. Down, yeah, we, that's a common thread that uh, throughout this conversation <laughs> and, and most conversations. <laughs> I wanted to kind of, again, pivot to another topic that we kind of discussed in, pre in preparation for this a little bit. And that is GitOps. Mm. And every time somebody brings up GitOps, I'm, I, I kind of have this um, baggage. Let's call it baggage, but it seems yeah. pretty good. Get, get up seems relevant to this conversation. So, so I think, uh -huh. I think, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good time to bring it up, but I feel like I sometimes have trouble kind of taking a higher level, a higher altitude view of what get ups is capable of and, and, and other use cases and, and, and the benefits of using a, get managed environment. Because again, as you know, having the baggage of, of using Git in the way that I did as a developer, um, and uh -huh. kind of day in day out use, sometimes I don't necessarily think about it in terms of the versatility mm -hmm. that might be relevant talking about get ups in a, in a broader sense. There are obviously, you, you know, many just universal benefits to using that kind of environment in, in various disciplines. And, and I wondered what your thoughts are on the just the big picture that is the GitOps, its benefits. How do we do wonderful things with Git? All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about what GitOps is. Traditionally, GitOps has been you define your application in code and you store it in a Git repository. And then GitOps is running on your Kubernetes cluster. And what it's doing is it's at a synchronized interval, like at a certain interval, it's going to pull your manifests that are stored in your Git repository, and it's going to publish those to the cluster. And it does this automatically at a time interval that you've configured over and over again until forever. So what it's, what it's replacing is when people used to use webhooks, when they would, mm. they'd, they'd uh, push code, and then that, that push would cause the webhook would happen and no, it would cause trigger. it to get deployed to trigger the deployment. But the problem that would happen back in the webhooks days is like you could go and change something about your cluster without changing Git, and then it would be out of sync until the next time someone does a, a, a push, uh, next time a webhook's triggered. So at this, so with GitOps, 
your your Kubernetes cluster is always synchronized with what, how you've defined it to be in Git. Mm. And so it used to be that um, it used to be used for applications only, but now there are tools, lots of tools in the CNCF that that provide Kubernetes control loops that can manage infrastructure or uh, software as a service or things completely outside of the Kubernetes cluster. So we have stuff like um, cluster API or Crossplane or Kubevirt or virtual cluster, all of those kind of do these things. Well, big cluster, maybe not, but um, so that means you can define your infrastructure in Git and then Argo, a tool like Argo CD or Flux will sync what you've defined with your Kubernetes cluster. And then from there, a tool like Crossplane will take that definition and then sync it with maybe your cloud provider or something external to your Kubernetes cluster and then make actual infrastructure or databases or something like that come into existence as you defined it in your Git repo. Kubernetes has expanded. It used to be a container orchestration platform. Now it's an anything orchestration platform. Any any API can now be watched with the Kubernetes control loop. And then add GitOps to that. That means you can define anything in a Git repo. And then the, these control loops are making sure it exists in real life. So that's that's GitOps, the magic that is GitOps. Magic. Get the, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> GitOps, all the things. And then one thing is like, no. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions about what kind of tools should be used. And even Kubernetes, I'm kind of making a lot of Kubernetes assumptions because that's my world. But one thing we can all agree on, no matter who you work for, no matter what corp company, no matter even if you're working at home on a side project, we can all agree on Git. Yep. I don't know of any that's other thing, person who uses something that's not Git. Yeah. yeah so, that's like, so that also makes like Git the perfect place to, to be implementing um, this kind of uh, management. And so besides being able to define everything in code, that has its own benefits because you can do all of the code things. You have source control, you can do versioning, you can update it with commits, you can do code reviews. You could do automatic tests as part of your um, updating of the code. So number one, you can do, when you define your infrastructure and code, you could do all of the code things. And then you also have Git now as the interface to be able to access your system. So you can use Git. You talked about role-based role access mm -hmm. control earlier. Yeah, the access control now can happen in Git. So you probably have only a couple very specialized people who could actually access the cluster directly. And everyone else who's making changes to the cluster are doing that through Git um, and whatever GitHub or whatever web manager you're using for Git. And then, so it's good for access control. And then talking about doing code reviews, now we're also democratizing change management. So, mm -hmm. Now, now, if I want to make, if, if I want to make a change to the Git repo, then maybe you're assigned to review my change and another human has to look at it. Besides passing automated tests, another human also has to look at it. And that can be decided within an org how that works. So those are some extra benefits to Git besides just the, the obvious, more obvious like drift detection synchronization kind of benefits. 
Oh, also if like everything gets destroyed or something, you have a backup. Yeah. Like, like it'll just automatically get made again for you. Yeah. Well, it's the whole the whole reason we, we started using this stuff in the first place. It's funny. I, I haven't always used Git. I, I go way back to like CVS oh, yeah. and Subversion. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't say that out loud because like that's not cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I really appreciate your perspective here. The way you, you view this from your angle on, on all of this, the landscape, the, 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 the benefits and when they're put together properly, making people's lives better, right? Day in, day yeah. out. I really yeah. enjoy your perspective on all of that. I hear a lot of like, it improves app delivery and uh, accelerates it and simplifies app delivery, which it does. And I really should say that more because I'm, I'm very focused on making developers happy. <laughs> and yeah, that's like, great. that's the end for me. Yeah. But really there's a business bottom line. Developers make the apps. So, yeah. <laughs> So since I think we've done a pretty good job of covering it, um, where mm -hmm. can people find you? I would love for you to share a little bit more about the shows that you produce, uh, in particular your Twitch streams. I, I've watched your recorded shows. I've not, which are very cool, by the way, especially Thank I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you talk about them, but there are, there's a light board and it's very cool, but I have not seen them live. And I think that seems like a great place for people to follow up with you. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that. Cool. I host three shows, one of which I already told you about. It's You Choose on the DevOps Toolkit YouTube channel. That one streams on YouTube. Um, you're going on about the Twitch part a lot. And that's funny because I was thinking of stopping really? uh, streaming. Well, only streaming to you, YouTube and not okay. Twitch anymore. Okay. But um, and then I host um, I'm as I mentioned, I'm a CNCF ambassador. So I, I'm also one of the hosts of the cloud native live show that happens a couple times a week where we'll have someone on from a CNCF project to do live coding demos about their project. And that's always really fun. And so I'm often hosting that and that's on CNCF's YouTube channel. They also stream it to LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know how you find that, but maybe you do as the viewer. So you, there <laughs> it is. And then, um, and then I host a third show called Enlightening, which is spelled like the lightning bolt in lightning because it's on a light board. So you can find that show if you go to tanzu.tv. It's streamed to VMware Tanzu's YouTube channel and also to Twitch. And in that show, I have a Lightboard Studio in my home. And in that show, I'll have a guest on from a CNCF project. And I generally know absolutely nothing about the CNCF project. And that person has to teach me about it. And I'm behind the Lightboard and I'll take notes as they teach me and ask a lot of clarifying questions. And we do like a deep dive on their particular project. So they'll always tell me, just like you started this stream, I think it's a brilliant way to start the stream. Like, what what was the world like before your technology existed? Like, explain the problem space and then give me a really good definition of what your project is. That's the mm -hmm. beginning. And then from there, it's kind of up to them. Do they want to deep dive about what custom resources they have or do they want to get into particular use cases or or it's up to the guest to teach me in the way that they best see fit for their their particular technology. I don't know when this is coming out, but I'm about to do an episode on notary, for example, for image okay. signing. And the next one I have after that will be with Duffy Cooley. And he's teaching just more generally Kubernetes networking. So we'll be talking about CNI, I imagine. Uh, container networking interface is what that stands yeah, for, I'm pretty yes. sure. <laughs> so many acronyms, so little time. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's a fun show. It's um, it's a longer format and it's a deep dive, but I, it's it's great. I feel actually thankful. I feel so much gratitude every day that I get to do that show and I get to hang out with experts and yeah. and learn and ask it, all my questions. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool format. I would encourage everyone to go check it out because it is it is there are deep dives into all sorts of things that you might want to learn about and and the approach is great mm -hmm. because again, I mean the light board is just cool, but it's it's helpful because you're you're there, you're taking notes, where where everybody's learning, it's good stuff. And then I speak at conferences, so I'm speaking at KubeCon China next month. We're doing a you choose the kind of themed conference talk me and Victor. And then I'll be speaking at KubeCon Chicago about security stuff. Um, Ooh, that'll be fantastic. fun. And yeah. And I'm also working on a platform building course for O'Reilly. So hopefully that'll be out sometime next year. Well, Whitney, you are busy. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I'm a little uh, intimidated. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't be. Don't but, be. Uh, I'm a goofball. This has been so great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me and, and, and share all of this with the open at Intel audience. And I hope we get to do it again. Maybe at me KubeCon. Too. Yeah. Oh, I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. This is a gift.